Bible.com, an easy way to study hard. Ask a question. Do you have homework questions and our subject matter experts have answers? Ask away. Most questions are answers in as fast as 30 minutes and you'll be notified by email when your answer is ready. Find a solution. Proofread your paper. Bible experts will look over your paper with your advanced grammar and spell checkers. Part will be learned. Access step-by-step solutions to millions of textbook problems. A searchable database of solutions to homework questions and subject matter experts on standby. So number seven, when you're stuck. Part will be right. Write better right now. Scan for accidental plagiarism. Check spelling and grammar and format citations. Focus so you can spend less time writing out and get the grade you want. Part will be tutored. 24-7 online tutoring services. Gives you personalized instruction that you want and the flexibility you demand. With many options, you can find the best fit for your lifestyle and study habits. Part of be learn. Search, solve, succeed. Study smarter with access to millions of step-by-step textbook solutions, accessible digital database of homework solutions, and subject matter experts on standby 24/7 to provide homework help when you need it. Subscribe and your Designed to reduce mistakes, improve writing habits, and transfer OK essays into Stellar One so you can submit your paper with confidence all for only $9.99 a month. Try Bartleby Write. 24 7 personal writing tour, plagiarism checker. Bartleby will help you catch missing citations, accidental copy text, and other mistakes, giving you supreme confidence in your original work. Grammar and spell checker, offer your own success story with writing help to eliminate mistakes. Every Early scoring, follow the advanced algorithm, scans your paper and compares it to thousands of similar papers to proceed produce a score before you turn it in. Citation assistance, whether it's MLA grammar checks or APA assistance, citing source in the search. Try it today. Part will be tutor, one-on-one tutoring on your schedule. <coughs> whether it's a one-time question or a homework problem that needs a private study session. Solution Bartleby's taught you their team of live tutors are available 24-7. Get started today with a free 15-minute session on them to find a tutor. Get a tutor on your computer. All tutoring sessions occur in real time via messaging or audio for easy collaboration on homework help, textbook solutions, and more. 24-7 availability. Tutors are on demand day or night and can accommodate your school and life balance when you're ready to study. So is Bartleby. Flexible options don't pay for tuning time you won't use by 30, 60, 120 minute increments, whichever best fits your needs. Didn't use all your minutes, roll them over to another session. Many subjects, tutors are available in over 20 subjects. Parliament experts will help you will help make sense of the toughest concepts in engineering, math, physics, business, and more. Find a tutor ready to get started. Sign up for 24-7 homework help now. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Here's Chapter 5 of American Dirt by Janine Cummins. At home, Luca's little room has a nightlight in the shape of Noah's Ark. It's not a very bright one, but it makes enough light that when he has a nightmare and shuts back the covers to run into Peppy, he's able to see where his bare feet meet the tile floor. So he's disoriented when he wakes up in the darkened room at the Hotel Duquesa. Imperial, he can't make out a single shape in the blackness. He sits up in the unfamiliar bed, thrusting his legs over the edge. 
Peppy. It's always Peppy he calls for first. Peppy, whose side of the bed he approaches. Peppy, he taps on the shoulder. He tucks him into the fold of his arm, who doesn't take, make him go back to his own room. Peppy's pillow smells faintly of the amber liquid he drinks at bedtime. Mammy is great for the daytime things, but Peppy is better, infinitely better at tolerating disruptions to a sleep. Peppy, Luca calls for a second time, and his voice sounds strange enough to close walls to contain it. Luca clutches the edge of the puffy blanket. Mammy, he rises then. There is breathing nearby, which ceases, then rearranges itself. I'm here, me and more. Come here. Mammy, Luca draws his legs back beneath the covers and leans against the wall of pillows behind him, and that's when it returns all at once. <coughs> a memory of what happened, the truth of where they are. The breath squeezes out of Luca's small body, and his knees curl up to his face. He covers his head and with his arms and screams without intending to. The sound escapes from him. Mamie sits up quickly on her knees and reaches for the lamp, groping for the switch. Now the room is illuminated, but Luca can sense that only through the clamped shutters of his eyelids, Mamie pulls him close and folds him up, gets her legs beneath him so the knot of him is on her lap, and they stay like that for a long time. She doesn't try to stop him from screaming or crying. She just hangs on and wraps herself around it as best she can. It's as if they are riding out a hurricane. When the worst of it has passed, perhaps 15 minutes later, Lucas's eyes feel like sandpaper and he still can't find a way to loosen the joints of his body, but at least he's breathing again, in and out, in and out, his face is swollen. Lydia gets out of the bed, wearing one of the long tissues she bought at Walmart and Luca Riz. There's a physical pain into their minor separation. She grabs a bottle of water from the dresser and then darts back to him. I'm right here, she says, I'm not going anywhere. Luca lies on his side and curled up. She twists the cap off the bottle and takes a drink, then hands it to him. Her black hair is wild, is a wild tumble. He shakes his head, but she insists, sit up and drink. She drags his body upright, and she holds the bottle to his lips, tips it in for him like she did when he was a baby. Someone once told me that the only good advice for grief is to stay hydrated, because everything else is just chin, chin, god, there is. Shingadaris. Mamie cursed again. That's the second time since yesterday. Luca closes his lips, forcing the bottle out, but she hands it to him. Have some more, she says. Her face is splotchy but dry, and there are dark circles beneath her eyes. Her expression is one Luca has never seen before, and he fears it might be permanent. It's as if seven fishermen have cast their hooks into her in different directions, and they're all pulling at once. One from the eyebrow, one from the lip, one, another at the nose, one from the cheek. Mamie is contorted. She turns to the alarm clock face so she can see it. When she leans over the nightstand, the weight of Peppy's wedding ring drags at the gold chain she wears around her neck, dwarfing the three little hoops that have always lived there. She tucks it back inside the collar of her t-shirt. 44-8, she says. No more sleep for us, right? Luca doesn't answer. He drinks from the water bottle. She gathers her tumultuous hair into a ponytail, stands up from the bed again, and turns on the television. She finds an English language cartoon. Here she says, practice. Even though he doesn't need practice, his English is excellent. She orders room service, eggs, and toast, and fruit. She, the thought of eating makes Luca's stomach turn, so he stops thinking about it. He lets his eyes hook into the television, and his body softens. 
His head feels like a cinder block. His nose stuck. His mouth open. He opens his mouth to breathe gently, but when Mamie steps into the bathroom and turns the shower on, Luca gets up from the bed and pads across the room to join her. She's sitting on the toilet, so he perches on the edge of the tub while she's finished. Then he takes a turn, not because he has to go, but because he doesn't want to be alone in the other room. He sits there with his underwear around his ankles until he hears the candle squeak and the water stop. He stands and flushes just as she pulls back the curtain. You should take you should take a tower, shower too, he says. She says, stepping out, wrapping herself in a towel. It might be a few days before you have another chance. Luke looks at her in the mirror and shakes her head his head once. It's impossible here to shower, to be alone there, right between the towel walls with the sound of gunfire raking across a wide back patio. He shakes his head again and shuts his eyes tightly, but it's no use. He reliving it again, his body frantic, his breath of whip a whip of panic, the sound that comes out of him this time is something between a whimper and a screech. He tries to be louder than the gunfire has had. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, Mammy too says it holding him. And even though Luca knows well those words are not strictly true, he clings to them regardless. She watches him instead in the sink with sudsy water and a set washcloth like she used to do when he was a baby. Neck, ears, armpits, tummy, back, bottom, undercarriage, legs and feet. She swabs off the grime, the Lots of dry blood, the clean fluff of vomit. She makes him clean and dry. She pats him down with a white towel, fluffy and warm against his skin. Even though they're expecting Ruth, the room service delivers a knock at the door when it comes styles them both. They are jittery from grief and there's a thinness in the air that envelopes every sound. He doesn't want to, but look away to the bathroom with the door locked while his mother answers the delivery. He hums softly to himself as soon as he's alone, but it's not music. There's no melody in it. Lydia hesitates between the two locked doors behind the bathroom. One, she can hear the tuneless humming. Behind the other, a man's voice repeats the announcement of the breakfast delivery. She is barefoot on the carpet and her hands shake as she floats the desk chair out of the way and reaches for the doorknob. She wants to stretch up on her bare toes and look out the people to make sure, but how can she? How can she when all she can imagine is seeing the dark tunnel of a gun barrel on the other side and then immediately seeing nothing at all ever again? But if that's the fate that awaits her, she tells herself, then no, at least she won't unlock the door and invite it in. She holds her breath as she reaches out silently and plants her hands on either side of the people. The young man outside pushes a cart laden with silver trays. He wears a uniform, his face is scarred with acne. His name tag says ICAL. None of it means anything about their safety. She returns to the flats of her feet, pads over to the dresser, and moves her machete from the top drawer. Be right there, just a second, she says. She's wearing a thick bathrobe she found in the closet, and she slips the machete into its baggy pocket. She keeps her hand in there and grips the handle tightly. She says the word okay out loud to herself, and then she opens the door. I cal it is mean Elvis is not a Sicario. He is barely even a room service delivery boy. He takes his head and clears his throat and seems embarrassed to be in a hotel with a woman wearing a bathroom. He averts his eyes and he steps faster and places her tray almost apologetically on the desk. Then he returns to his waiting cart in the doorway and hands her the billfold for her signature. Then he feels confident enough to leave the machete in her pocket momentarily while she signs it. She thanks him and hands it back. And then, just as the door is about to swing closed, he says, wait, I almost forgot, and Lydia's hand darts back into her pocket. 
but he only hands her some cutlery wrapped in two cloth napkins. And this, he says, producing a padded envelope from a lower shelf. The front desk asked me to bring it up. Let me take a small step back. What is it? A delivery, he says. Arrived for you last night. Let it shake his head. No one knows we're here, and no one knows we're here. A padded refrain. He's holding the parcel out between them, but Lydia makes no move to reach for it. She stares at the brown paper. She can't see any markings on it, not even her name. Shall I put it on the desk as the food? He asks. Or he gestures inside, but seems reluctant to step back into the room. Without an invitation. No, Lydia says she knows that she's acting crazy. She doesn't care. I don't want it. Senora. She shakes her head again. I don't want it, she repeats. Just get rid of it. I can't attempt to suppress the confusion of his face with a firm nod. He replaces the parcel on the and it's not until it's muffled rattle almost has almost reached the elevator at the end of the floor that Lydia changes his mind. She opens the door and chases after her. Wait! When she returns to the room, Luca has already emerged from the bathroom and is standing over the tray of food, removing the cover from the plates. Lydia holds a small parcel away from her body as she carries it into the bathroom and places it carefully on a towel in the bathroom or the tub. She steps out and shuts the door, closing the parcel inside. She fixes the coffee from the tray, drinks it uh, in one long guzzle, and then dresses quickly, hitching her scratchy new jeans up beneath the hotel robe. Luca eats standing up, wearing only his underwear. He is starving, and that hunger feels like a betrayal. How can his body want food? He jams a slice of toast into his mouth. How can the butter taste so good? Luca chews it into a paste before swallowing. He watches his mother sideways without turning his head away from the television. He sees the way Mamie screws her lips up on the side, up to one side, and he decides he's going to take care of her. He won't be a baby anymore. He decides this very matter-of-factly in a single instant, and he knows to be immediately true. We should go to El Norte, he says, because he suspects that her plan, that's her plan anyway, and he wants to confirm that it's a good one. The only one to get to a planet where no one can reach them. Yes, Mimi stands beside the bed in her jeans and robe. She seems to have lost track of what she was doing halfway through getting dressed. She seems both hurried and unable to move. We'll go to Denver, she says after a moment. She has an uncle there. Lydia slips a plain white t-shirt over her head and steps up from inside the puddle of robe around her feet. She feels so panicked quickly and raw that even the cotton of the t-shirt brush against her skin sends goosebumps racing down her arms. She rubs them off and tells Luca to hurry up and get dressed. When he's finished eating, back in the bathroom, she stares down at the padded brown envelope in the bottom of the tub. She can't decide whether she made the right decision by bringing it into the room. Maybe it doesn't matter. Someone knows where they're here, so now they have to leave immediately, regardless of what's inside. She wasn't, it wasn't curiosity that made her run after the, that, after that food delivery kid. She's not curious. She doesn't want to know what's inside, but she knows that disinterest is a luxury that she can no longer afford to indulge. If she hopes to survive this ordeal with Luca, then she needs to pay attention to every single detail. She needs to be alert to every scrap of available information. She lifts the envelope carefully by one corner and examines the back seal. There's nothing out of the ordinary. She's going to have to open it in here in the bathroom, or should she take it out on the balcony in case it explodes? Garajo, she says out loud. You talking to me, Mamie? Luca says through the door. No, mijo, get dressed. She puts the parcel to her ear. 
can hear nothing inside. <coughs> no ticking, no beeping. She looks across at nose and smells it, but there's no discernible order. She carefully slides one finger beneath the sail's edge, closes her eyes, and gently pulls her finger along the loosening flap. In her head, the pounding of her own fear is louder than the ripping paper, but now here it is, open in her hand. An ordinary envelope, no dreadful toxic letter spells out, no poisonous cloud of doom ascends. Inside, tied with a pale blue ribbon in an English language copy of Love at the Time of Cholera, <coughs> a book she once discussed with Heavier, one of the many shared favorites. <coughs> There's something tucked between the pages. She takes on the ribbon, which gives way and falls to the floor at her bare feet. Her body feels like an arrow that's been launched from the pool, but hasn't yet found its target. She's suspended a right of arcing a cannibal to the laws of gravity. <coughs> <coughs> she opens to the page where it ends wedged into the spine. Of course she knows she knew not she knew from the very first the mayhem in the yard, the fear responsible for the massacre of her family it feels as, po- as impossible as it is true, but until this moment she's protected herself from fully acknowledging the fact. But once she accepts that inconvertible truth, she must also acknowledge her own guilt. She knew this man, she knew him, and yet she failed to appreciate the danger he presented. She failed to protect her family. Lydia can't think of any, can't think about this any of this yet. She isn't ready. She must find a way to delay her despair. Luke is the only thing that matters now. Luke, he is still in danger. Get dressed, she calls again. Her voice pitching out of at an unfamiliar angle. She looks down at the book in her hand. A passage is highlighted there. The moment when the window widowed her heroine Fermina dolls are reeling in the aftermath of her husband's death and counts the man Florentina Alvariza, whom she rejected 50 years earlier. Fermina, he said, I've waited for this opportunity for more than half a century to repeat to you once again my vow of eternal fidelity and everlasting love. Lydia thrust the book away from her and he and it summons us into the tub. The envelope remains in her hand. She considers dropping it to <coughs> and leaving it there, but she needs to know what it says. Her stomach plunges. She pulls a card out of a thick envelope and sees white lilies. On the front, me, Mesentito, Pesame, inside the handwriting is immediately familiar. Lydia, I sangre es tu manos también. Lo siento por tu dolor y el mío. Ahora estamos, estamos destinados a permanecer eternamente unidos por este pesar. Thomas imagine, imagine este capítulo para nosotros, pero no te preocupes, mi reina del alma, tu sufrimiento, ser breve, Javier. There is blood on your hands as well. I'm sorry for your pain and mine. Now we are bound forever in this grave. I never imagined this chapter for us, but do not worry, queen of my soul. Your suffering will be brief. She drops the card and lands in the toilet where it darkens at once. Lydia's not sure what she'd been expecting when she opened it. There's nothing he could could have written there that would have made 
but it would make any difference. Not quiet, not no quiet slash of ink on paper can resuscitate her dead brother. Her husband, no apology or explanation can reanimate Jennifer's brain, pin her soul back into her body. That girl smelled like grapefruit and sugar, and now she's gone. Lydia beats back a sob using an English word she's never liked. Fuck, it works so it works so she says again and again. Perhaps she'd hope the card might eliminate something. She reads it once more, holding the ink. Uh, Beginning to bleed, then she's haunted by the familiarity of the handwriting. What she, what had she missed? How can this be real? She tries, but she cannot. She tries, but she can't force it to make sense, and the effort makes her dizzy. Only one thing is clear: Javier knows where they are. She doesn't have time to panic or reflect. She has to get Luca out of there. Now they have to run. She bangs open the bathroom door and hisses at Luca once more to get dressed. He doesn't answer, but and then as she looks up, she sees that he's already dressed in fresh dreams in his father's red hat, and he that he's sitting on a chair beside the desk, wriggling his feet into his new socks. Oh, underlay, she says, good, but then he reaches out for the tray of food to cram in a pipe before tackling the other sock. And Lydia lunges toward him. She smacks a toast from his hand and skids it to the floor. Mamie, Luca is shocked. She only shakes his head, her head. Don't eat it. Don't eat any more food. Luca saw I don't know if it's safe. She thinks about dragging him into the bathroom and sticking a finger down his throat, but there's no time. She cramps all their belongings into their, her mother's overnight bag and two backpacks. She hasn't even put on her bra yet. No time. Her hair is wet. It's leaving a damp ring around the shoulders of her t-shirt. She jams her bare feet into her mother's quilted sneakers, straps a backpack on herself, and grabs her mother's bag. You ready? Luca nods and picks up the second backpack. <coughs> the one that bought at Walmart. Super quiet, says, no noise. Luca seals his mouth. Lily pauses at the door to lean her ear against the wood and listen before she dares to open it. She pins Luca to the wall beside her and then cracks the door. The hallway is empty, the only sound coming from a television in the room across the hall. She takes Luca's hand and tucks him out, wedging it out into the door so it won't even click as it closes. They run silently to the service stairs, and, then, and when Lydia hears the ding of the elevator at the other end of the hall, she shoves Luca through the door. Simon flights down, Luca flies in front of her. Lydia's feet touch every third or fourth step along the way. Thank you for listening to this chapter. Have a good week and stay safe.